ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. If you're listening to Gospel Dynamite, thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible, Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 17, as we look at two worlds in prayer. Two worlds in prayer, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. When he had opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell up unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? As we continue our journey through the book of Revelation, we're just beginning to deal with events related to the tribulation. As we understand it, this period of terror and judgment will not begin until the church has been removed from the world. Now, the tribulation period itself is a seven-year period of time that's been divided in two three-and-a-half-year segments. first half is known as the tribulation, the last half is given the Great Tribulation. In our last study, we looked at the first four sealed judgments that will come upon the world. We saw the rise of the Antichrist, the coming wars, famine, and pestilences that will claim the lives of one quarter of the earth's population. The first four seals deal with the first three-and-a-half-year portion of that tribulation. The two seals we're going to consider today deal with the last three-and-a-half-year portion of it. Now, just so you'll know, the book of Revelation is not written in chronological order. The events do not necessarily take place in order in which they're written. The events of this book overlap in time. As we continue to move through the book, we're going to be seeing events that will overlap one another from time to time. In Revelation 6 and verse 1, from this verse, it describes the actions of the great king, the Lord Jesus Christ, in claiming his inheritance, bringing the power of the usurper, Satan, and ultimately defeating all his foes, 
bringing his people finally to the great kingdom, reign and heaven itself. It's also important to note that Jesus is opening the seals on the scroll in heaven. He is unleashing every element. That is, he is totally in control. He is sovereign in control. He is exercising the great strength, and I might say restraint in his dealings with men on the earth, and it is he who gives the Antichrist in chapter 6 and verse 1. He gives the nod to proceed with Satan's evil work, but it is God's plan to bring judgment to prideful and sinful humanity. In essence, they're pawns in the hands of God exercising his will in every circumstance. In our verses today, we're going to see an unusual dynamic at work. We see people in heaven and people on the earth in prayer. We see both saints and sinners engaged in the business of praying. Now, you may think that the tribulation period will be a time period that's going to be devoid of prayer and religious activity. However, we're about to see that just the opposite is true. There's going to be prayer in heaven. There's going to be a prayer here on earth. Heaven's greatest prayer meeting will take place during the latter portion of the Great Tribulation. I call your attention to verses 9 through 11 where we see the tribulation saints in peace. As these verses open before us, we're taken back up into heaven. We're shown a scene of souls under the altar. Now, there are a few things here worthy of our attention. When Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle, he was to build it after the pattern of things in heaven, according to Hebrews 8 and verse 5. In other words, Moses built an altar where animals would be slain. That altar was merely a shadow of the altar in heaven. Everything Moses built for Hebrew worship was only a shadow of what actually exists in heaven. When these verses tell us that there are souls under the heaven's altar, they mean what they say. These souls are people who have given their lives for the cause of Christ. When a lamb was slain on the altar, the blood and the ash would be a testimony to its sacrifice. Now, like a sacrificial lamb, these souls bear testimony to their own sacrifice. These souls under this altar totally devastate two major doctrines being taught in our day. First, they completely do away with the notion of soul sleep. These souls are not lying in a grave in a body waiting resurrection. They are in heaven. They are aware. They are talking. They are very much alive. They are in the presence of God. Praise the Lord that when our loved ones die and when we die, we do not go to the grave. We arise to our Savior for 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 1 through 8. Souls do not go to the grave. They either go to be with the Lord in heaven or they go to hell depending on what they've done with Jesus. Another doctrine knocked down by these verses is the doctrine or the fallacy of purgatory. There is absolutely no scripture for the notion that men go to a place of fire where they atone for their sins. And then once they've suffered enough, 
they can be set free and go to heaven. That is Roman Catholic superstitious nonsense. And there is no biblical foundation for such a doctrine. The Bible is very clear. There are no four places when you die. Oh, if we listen to man, which has been supplied by Satan, these lies, we would believe that we could either go to heaven, hell, purgatory, or the grave. The Bible makes it clear that death comes, and when it comes, there are only two possible destinations. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. There are no other choices. With those thoughts in mind, look at these verses. Notice with me in verse 9, they're sacrifice. Here's a multitude of people who have been slain, notice, for the word of God and for the testimony they held. The word slain means to be butchered or slaughtered. These are people who turn to faith in Christ after the rapture of the church. These folks have given their lives for Christ. They held fast to their testimony and to the testimony of the word of God. And even though they were threatened with death, it could not cause them to turn away. Yes, there will be people saved during the tribulation. The Bible tells us that an army of Jewish evangelists are going to cover the globe preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And these evangelists will see a multitude. The Bible says that no man can number. They're going to come to faith in Christ. It's worthy to note that only those people who have never heard the gospel will have the opportunity to be saved in that day, according to 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 11. Now, most of the people who come to faith in Christ during this time period will be called upon to lay down their lives for Christ. These tribulation saints will refuse to follow the Antichrist. They will totally reject him and his system. They will be hunted down like dogs. They're going to be executed for their testimony in Jesus Christ. Now, you can look at the history books, and there is absolutely no way that we can tally the total of those who have been killed for nothing more than professing faith in Christ. Over the last 2,000 years, believers have been crucified, burned alive at the stake, sawn in half, drowned, stoned, sawn in the skins of dead animals while wild beasts were released on them, shot, stabbed, sealed in their churches and burned alive, humiliated and tortured. Emperor Nero tied Christians to poles, dipped them in wax, and set them on fire to light his dinner parties. Thousands were murdered to satisfy the bloodlust of the Romans. In this day, over 150,000 Christians die every year just because they believe in Jesus Christ. My friend, Christians are singled out and attacked for their faith. None would dare say a word about a Muslim or a Jew. For Christians, my friend, a fair great game. We are seeing a shadow of this in our world today. And when the great tribulation comes upon the earth, millions of believers will be put to death for their faith. And my friend, it would not surprise me if we saw this increase in our day as the years go by. These sacrificed saints are under the altar. They're in the place where the blood ran down, and this is a place of safety. This is a place of salvation. This is a place of security. They paid the terrible price for their faith, but now they're home. Now they're safe. And we're going to say more about these folks as we get into chapter 7. But in verse 10, see their supplication. 
These martyred saints are involved in prayer. The Bible said they cried with a loud voice and it filled heaven with their petitions. The prayer they offer up is not a prayer for mercy for their enemies like Jesus prayed on the cross in Luke 23 and 34. It is not a prayer like Stephen prayed as he was dying in Acts chapter 7. It is a prayer of judgment. This kind of prayer is called imprecatory prayer. It's the kind of praying that calls on God to move in judgment. It's the kind of praying you read about in the Old Testament in Psalm 94 verses 1 through 4. In the New Testament age, in this age of grace, we're taught to pray for those who wrong us in Matthew 5 and verse 44. He set that example for us as he was dying on the cross, as I've just indicated. We're in this day of mercy, this age of grace in this present time. When the church and the Holy Spirit are removed and the tribulation period begins on this earth, it's not going to be a time of grace and mercy. It's going to be a time of justice and judgment. And these saints pray this way out of a desire to see the name of God vindicated and honored. They call on God to judge the world and those in it, thus glorifying his own name. Friend, the day of grace will end soon. There's coming a time when God is going to get the same amount and just as much glory in judgment of the world and humankind and rectifying the situation that he has been wrong with over time. He's going to get the same amount of glory in that judgment as he does when he died on the cross. If you've never been saved, today's your day. Now is your time, but notice with me. In verse 11, their satisfaction. These saints are given white robes. This signifies their purity, their born-again condition. They're clothed in white because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and they're told to rest yet for a little season. They're being told that, more blood must yet be shed and that they are to be patient until the Lord finishes his work upon the earth. These people surely don't understand how the Lord can allow the martyrdom of his saints to progress upon the earth. They're comforted here by the Lord's word. And he tells them, just be patient for a while. This thing is winding down. It's going to be better after a while. There are many things we do not understand in this world. And as a pastor, I've been asked a myriad of questions. Why do the wicked prosper while God's children seem to suffer? Why are there such injustices in this world? Why does God allow these things? My friend, we must learn to take comfort from the fact that our God is working out an eternal plan and it will be better down the road. He will balance all the accounts one day. Our duty now is to remain faithful even when we don't understand what he's doing. When I cannot trace his hand, I still follow his plan. We've seen the tribulation saints in peace, but notice with me in verses 12 through 17, we see the tribulation sinners in panic. While prayer for judgment is being lifted up in heaven, prayer for protection is being lifted up on the earth. While those in heaven are at peace, those on the earth are in panic. Verses 12 through 14, there is a universe in turmoil. 
These verses describe a universe caught up in the grip of a terrible cataclysm. Earthquakes rip through the earth and with devastating power. Great clouds of dust and ash will be thrown into the atmosphere, dimming the powerful light of the sun. Sackcloth of hair refers to the black garments worn by mourners. The moon will take on the appearance of blood as it tries to shine through the ravaged atmosphere. The great earthquake here mentioned is the first of three earthquakes mentioned in the book of Revelation, and they will all be terrible. This world's no stranger to earthquakes, we know that. It has a history of that. But these earthquakes will be unlike any other, for these earthquakes are the earthquakes of God's wrath. And we're also told that the stars of heaven will fall down to the earth like the fruit of a fig tree that is shaken by violent wind. This verse is telling us that there's going to be tremendous meteor showers that will fall upon the earth in these days. These meteor showers will cause tremendous death and devastation. Whole cities and countries will likely be destroyed as the heavens come crashing down to the earth. There's no stability as the heavens above appear to roll up like a book and the mountains and the islands are moved out of their places by the devastating geological occurrences that are unleashed upon the earth from the very hands of the creator himself. Verses 15 through 17, you have the unconverted in terror. We're told that the men of all ranks are overcome with fear. Kings are the rulers. Great men are the governmental leaders. Men of power. Rich men are those who are in control of the wealth of the world. Chief captains are the military leaders. Mighty men are the celebrities and those with great influence and power. Bondmen and free men alike are affected. And when God's wrath is finally poured out upon this world, men will be reduced to the same level. Fear in the face of wrath will be the rule of the day. In verses 12 through 14, what they see is that the universe convulses in geological and astronomical upheaval. Men will see everything that they've ever considered stable and permanent taken away from them. The earth is always there. The earth is always stable. It will be shaken the sun, the moon, the stars are always there. They too will be taken away. For millennia, men have worshipped this natural world and staked their hope and their futures upon the stability of the universe. Foolish men and women these days talk about climate change and how little mediocre men, little unvaluable people can change the climate change. My friend, God Almighty is in charge of the climate. Nothing can change it and their world is literally coming apart at the seams and they're terrified. In verses 15 and 16, in their terror they cry out for the mountains to fall on them and to hide them from the terrible gaze of God on his throne and from the wrath of the Lamb of God. Here is a world that has rejected God at every turn. They have denied him and his son while they have embraced Satan and his false Christ. And now it's time to pay up. Now they face his judgment and they are are filled with fear in verse 16 
They run to the caves and the dens of the earth to find a refuge from the presence of God. Folks, the evolutionists have sold this world a false bill of goods, a stupendous idiocy that is completely wrong. Cavemen are not in our past. They are in our future. You do your children a grave disservice when you trust them to a godless school system and never check upon what they are are learning. They want to hide themselves from the face of God and from Jesus Christ. They have a strange statement here. They say that they want to hide themselves from the wrath of the lamb. That's a strange picture. There's probably no animal more tender and gentle than a little lamb. Yet these big powerful men want to be delivered from the wrath of the lamb. There are two words translated wrath in the New Testament. One is the word thumos. It refers to a sudden outburst of anger. It's like a shotgun blast that is over in a moment. The other word is orge. It speaks of anger that slowly rises like water against a dam until the dam breaks and the flood come, comes. It has the idea of someone standing red-faced with their fist clenched as they try to hold back their anger. Well, God has held his anger for almost 6,000 years and the water of his wrath has risen against the dam of mercy and that dam is at a bursting point. Men are going to face the flood of God's fury because of their sin, because of their rejection of Christ. In verse 17, men sense that their time is up and that they are about to face the undiluted wrath of Almighty God, and might I add, they are absolutely right. Man's time is up. Judgment is coming. They pray, but their prayers go unanswered. Nothing can deliver them from the judgment whose time has come. Notice this. When these people begin to pray, they do not pray to God. They call on this natural world. That is where their faith is. And this world will fail them in that day. There is no cry for grace. There is no cry for mercy from God. There is no confession of sin. There is only a desire to be free from wrath. And even in the midst of judgment, lost sinners are still selfish and unchanged. They're still unrepentant. They still do not get it. They're still in defiance against a holy God. The martyred saints in heaven are praying for God to judge sin. The lost sinners on earth are praying to be delivered from the unflinching gaze of God. The saint's prayer will be answered. The sinner's prayers will not. Friend, it is either grace or wrath. Psalm 130 and verse 3 says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? I would not want to face God in my own righteousness. The best man can produce is filth in the sight of God. And we have learned in this area, especially in our church, 
that man does not like the word filth. But God says, that is everything that you can produce without me. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. Friends, I thank God that I will one day stand before him not clothed in my own righteousness because I don't have any. I'm going to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How about you? When I see the lamb, I'm going to see him as my savior. You have a choice. You can face him as your judge or you can face him as your savior through the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have no choice. You have to face him. Because not only is he the Lord, he is your creator. And he will summon you right to his presence. And if you're not born again, you're going to be summoned, according to Revelation 20, verses 9 through 15, you're going to be summoned to the great white throne and be judged for your sin and cast into the lake of fire. That does not have to happen. Would you come to Christ? Would you consider Jesus Christ who died for you? But my friend, if you reject Jesus Christ, you will face him in judgment. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.